Design Documents, Episode 39. Welcome back, my friends, nerds, geeks, and ziglets out there. We have another episode of the Zigbits Network Design Podcast, where zigabytes are faster than gigabytes. As always, our goal is to provide you with real-world context around technology. I'm a Zigziga, and I'm your host. Today's show... Uh, so, so let's, let's set the stage here, right? So today's show is called Design Documents. Um, today we're going to kind of follow up from a, a coaching session, a few coaching sessions I recently had with a good friend named Giuseppe. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I'm working on it. Um, who's probably listening to this episode at the moment once it launches. Um, but we, we had some recent coaching sessions. Um, and what came out of some of these sessions is that, uh, uh we've talked a lot about design documents. Um, so Giuseppe, if you're out there, uh, this discussion, my friend, uh, you know, our, our discussion, um, really has paved the way for this, this episode this week. So again, I appreciate you. I appreciate you, uh, reaching out to me and us having the, um, our, our kind of conversations around design and design documents. I think it's been very helpful and and hopefully hopefully this is a good episode from for your perspective too. Um so yeah, so during our discussions we talked a lot about design documents and um what came out of that was kind of like um it it kind of became apparent to me that this industry doesn't really teach us effectively um, what all of these documents are from a design perspective, what should be included where, and what their all overall purpose is within the design process. Um, and I even tried to attempt um, to remember, in my experience, how I was able to learn about all of these design documents. Because there's a few, and we're going to go over them. That's the intent. Um but you know, there's design documents that I have seen, that I have written personally, and then obviously um, in my past few roles, the design documents that I've peer-reviewed um, over my career, right? Just a ton of design documents, and I, I honestly couldn't find a good answer um, around how I learned these type of documents and what their purposes were, other than experience. So. Today, the intent is to shed some light on these design documents. We're going to call out uh, what they are, um, what their purpose is, um, and some of the examples of what should be included in these design documents. So, it, obviously, if you have any questions, concerns, comments, if anything doesn't resonate and you need some more more information, obviously reach out. Um, you can ping me at, uh, and I said say ping there, you can ping uh, ICMP me, right? Send me some some ping messages um, uh, on uh, any of the socials, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, Facebook. And then of course you can email us at feedback at zigbits.tech. Um, that's what we're going to go over. So today, the design documents agenda. Here's the design documents that we're going to highlight today. Um, we're going to highlight customer requirements document, also known as the CRD. We're going to highlight reference architecture, or RA. We're going to highlight uh, high-level design documents, and then also the low-level design documents. And some of these can be named to different different things, and, and we'll call out some of those as we go through. So let's start right into design documents today. So CRD, or the Customer Requirements Document. So I'm very opinionated about this. Um, I don't believe it's 
used enough. It's undervalued, and I don't I don't think it's used enough in today's world. A customer requirements document. Now, now, what is this document? Right, this isn't necessarily a document that the customer fills out on their own. So, in some cases in the past, in my experience, customers will have a list of requirements that they've written, and they send to you, or they send to a company, or however they get it to you, and you you get the requirements right. In my opinion, that's not what I'm talking about here. A customer requirements document isn't just something that is derived by the customer. It's more derived in tandem with a design staff, right? So this is something that um, every requirement that gets put into a customer requirements document um, should be validated by a design aspect, design engineer, design, um, a person that is doing design or architectural work should validate um, that that does, that requirement is actually correct and and needed in this environment. Um, because you could get a, a list of requirements from a customer and none of them be accurate, right? Um, they just, they might be off base, right? Or they, they may be, they were historically correct uh, years ago and, and now the the company's doing a whole different different mission, right? And I recently got some some a requirements kind of list from a customer and did a a huge design and then found out that half of their requirements um, weren't needed or weren't accurate. So definitely this this customer requirements document is something that you put together um, with your customer's input, but then also your information. Now again, um, if you are the customer and you're working within your organization, then this is something that you would do with your business leaders or, or technical staff, uh, management staff, and you would kind of write down the requirements from a from your your customer would be like a different department, right? So you would write down the, the requirements in, in regular kind of English terminology. Um, it doesn't have to be technical terms, right? That's the key here. Uh, what's the purpose, right? So this is really kind of the, the blueprint out or to level set um, what are you trying to do from a design perspective? Here's the requirements. And sometimes these requirements might become constraints, drivers, and outcomes. Um, and we've talked a lot about those over the last couple of years. Um, you know, so th- that that's what this is. Design require, uh, requirements, right? Business requirements. Um, now, sometimes what's going to happen in these documents, um, the customer is going to know, for the most part, maybe, maybe 75% of the requirements. Um, you're going to have to be asking um, leading questions to get the rest of those requirements. Uh, you're going to be doing a lot of wordsmithing to change the terminology, the wording around to affect um, better meaning for those requirements as well. So that that's what the CRD is. In some cases, it can be highly technical. In other cases, it can be very, very non-technical. Um, I've seen both versions over the years. Um, and again, I, I really do think this document, this type of document from a design perspective is highly undervalued and is skipped nine times out of 10 um, and, and shouldn't be skipped. It, it should be um, the first step in, in a design process from a design, from a documentation perspective, it should be the first step. So that's, that's design. Uh, that's the customer requirements document, right? I keep saying design documents again, and I, I'm failing today. So um, <laughs> it's been a while. So I'm getting back into the groove here. Um, the next one from a design documents is the reference architectures. So reference architectures are an abstraction of an architecture in a perfect world situation. 
That is my view of what a reference architecture is. Um, you're going to get a reference architecture that has things in a nice, neat place. Uh, it, it probably will call out Greenfield. Um, doesn't necessarily have to be a specific vendor solution, but it could be too. Um, but you know, it, it's going to be abstract, um, and, and it's going to be very cookie cutter, and it's going to be. This is how you do it. No, no kind of deviations from it, right? And it's gonna be a good reference architecture. There, you know, you're gonna. There's gonna be some possible requirements brought in um, from that, from a kind of requirements perspective, right? It could be a customer requirements document that we just talked about. It could be just in general a business requirements, and you bring those in so you can match that reference architecture up to a use case, um, a customer specific use case. Um, Sometimes I do see these, and we'll get into a high-level design and a low-level design documents a little later, but sometimes I see these reference architectures that will kind of pull in or be almost kind of a merger, if you will, or a mix of reference architecture, high-level design, and a low-level design all together. Um, I will also kind of state it's not always an end-to-end thorough or, or a fully inclusive document, right? It's more like a, a a part of the solution in a perfect world. 85% of the solution, 95% of the solution. Um, and then you as a designer, as an architect, have to take these reference architectures and apply them in the environment you are working in uh, with the customer-specific requirements or your organizational-specific requirements, associated requirements, whatever you want to call it. Um, so like a good example here would be like a reference architecture for the SpineLeaf design in the data center space. You know, So specific to a place in the network, data center, and then it's a technology architecture like a spine leaf architecture again i didn't talk about a, a specific vendor here i just said spine leaf architecture right and that is a reference architecture um now you can go ahead and create a hld off that an lod again hld high level design lod low level design um and you can merge them kind of you can mix and mix them together if you wanted to that's kind of where a reference architecture fits in in my opinion um now, from the reference architecture, we move on to kind of that HLD, that high-level design um, document, let's say. And this, in my opinion, is going to be very specific to an environment. Um, it's going to be specific to a customer, uh, an environment, an engagement, um, a place in the network, multiple places in the network, you name it. Um, what this is going to be, you're going to take the information, the requirements that were put together in the customer requirements document that we discussed a minute ago. Um, you're going to take in the reference architectures, right? So you may not use a whole, a whole, you may not use just one reference architecture. You might use more than one. You might use maybe three or four, or maybe you will only use one. The intent here is to, you know, you pull in the reference architectures for what you're trying to do. Maybe you're doing a software-defined WAN, right? Or a software-defined data center. Maybe you're doing both. Maybe you're doing a software-defined software, software data center and a software-defined WAN. And so you pull in reference architectures for both of those, and then you put them in your HLD, your high-level design document. Um, and that's kind of how I would build a high-level design document. And then throughout that HLD, you're referencing um, the requirements that we got in the customer requirements document. Now, again, if you don't have that customer requirements document, which most people and today I don't, I don't feel like they do, um, then you're you. 
what I traditionally do when that happens or has happened, um, I call out a specific section in the HLD, the high-level design, that calls out requirements. And then I will say, here, these design elements meet these requirements in this section, and I kind of call that out in the document, specifically calling out uh, maybe maybe they need no single points of failure, right? Just that, for example. Um, I would call that out saying that, you know, this this requirement um, is being met by these sections or something like that. Um, so from a technology perspective, a high-level design document is going to have things like you need a router, you need layer three routing here, um, you need a firewall, maybe a next-generation firewall application aware here, or there, you need some sort of transport connectivity between the sites. Um, maybe it doesn't have to be MPLS, but you need to get connectivity data from point A to point B. Um, some examples of some of the design decisions, in my opinion, that would be in here is going to be, do you need single points of failure? Do you need to reduce single points of failure? Maybe you need to reduce dual points of failure. Maybe you need to reduce shared fate situations. Um, these type of design discussions and decisions will be highlighted and ruled out or ruled in, I guess, depending on the situation and the requirements that you have. Um, but this is the document that's going to have those things, those kind of specific events or topics. So if it's ruled that you can't have any single points of failure anywhere in the environment, um, then you would call that out here in the, in the HLD, the high-level design, um, and, and it would articulate that you can't have any single points of failure with whatever technology we're talking about. I, I do want to step back here and say that a high-level design can be vendor agnostic. A high-level design doesn't have to be a specific vendor solution. It's not going to get down to the weeds of vendor vendor product placement. Um, it can if you wanted to, right? As a customer or whatever, if you wanted to do a specific vendor solution in a high-level design format, you can do that. Um, but for the most part, high-level designs can be vendor agnostic unless you deem that they, they need to be a specific solution subset. Now, um, here's this... Here's a specific example just to give you some some kind of, um, I guess, color to the situation here. Uh, Design-specific decisions, decisions that would be highlighted and discussed. Um, something along, along the lines of like, maybe we're talking about MPLS, and we're talking about BGP route reflector design, right? Um, and, and when we talk about BGP route reflectors um, and just MPLS in general, you know, there's things like cold potato routing, hot potato routing. There's things like route reflectors and the different address families that need to be included in the route reflector design. So a good example would be maybe you are determining how many route reflectors to have. And maybe it's between, maybe you have two or four route reflectors. And if you have two route reflectors, then you would have maybe IP, your IP address families and your VPN address families. Maybe you're doing IPv4 and VPNv4, right? And, um, you have to make a decision from a design perspective to have them co-located um, on the same route reflectors. Um, so then that would mean you'd have two route reflectors running both IP and VPN before address families or to have them separated and then having two route reflectors that are doing just IPv4 and then two route reflectors that are just doing VPN before. And, and what this kind of 
means here is it's a design decision. There's pros and cons to both. Um, and, and what you're going to see in a design document like this, a high-level design document, is the pros and cons of the decisions that are being made and suggested and recommended. So a perfect example would be why would it be a bad thing to have a route reflector with um, an IP address family, so like IPv4 address family, not in line um, on internet traffic, right? And, and if you can answer that, then you let me know. I'm not going to answer it here because it's a question for you all. Um, and then why would it be okay to have a route reflector um, doing VPN before address spaces, you know, the VPN for address family um, out of line? versus inline. So there's there's some kind of routing specific situations there. Efficient route efficiency routing versus not efficient routing and who needs to be in the data path and who doesn't need to be in the data path. But these are design specific decisions that would be highlighted in a high level design document. It's not gonna go into um specific configurations Right, it's not going to go into this is how you configure BGP, or this is how you configure route reflectors, or this is how you configure first hop redundancy protocol. Um, that's not the intent here, right? The intent isn't how to configure it in a high level design. The intent is that do you need a first hop redundancy protocol? Do you need VRRP or HSRP or GLBP, right? Or don't you need it? That's the intent of a high level design document. Um, also, I've seen these as as-builts, just to be clear. So I've seen some organizations and some companies do an as-built, high-level design of something that's actually out there deployed today. Um, and so it takes away the vendor-specific knowledge or it takes away the configuration-specific information. And then it's it's more of a high-level design of an as-built deployment of a technology or environment. Um, so you might see these as as-builts. Um, now, I did mention uh, the configuration aspect, right? No features. It doesn't show any configurations. It might call out a specific feature. It might say, um, you know, to do what we need to do with BGP, we're going to do local AS, or we're going to do AS overwrite, or we're going to do um, prepend AS for some reason. Um, you name it. I mean, it could call out some of those features, right? Or if we're talking about maybe an IGP, right? Maybe we're talking about specifically OSPF here. It might call out and say, Maybe we're going to do LSA type three filtering, right? So these are these are design considerations, and some of those features might be called out, but we're not going to go through configuration examples within the the high level design document. Now this aligns perfectly with the next design document, which is the low level design document, right? We get the high level design document, and we get the low level design document. So within the low level design document, this is where you're going to find all of your technical configurations of features. Now, I would call this a vendor specific. This is gonna be, um, you know, if you work for a vendor and you're doing design, low level design documents, it's gonna probably be for your vendor hardware and solutions um, and software solutions. If you work for uh, a partner or a value added reseller, then it could be a low level design document for every solution that's there. So if maybe you're working for uh, an integrator, let's say, 
and you're deploying um, Juniper hardware, Cisco hardware, VMware hardware, Microsoft hardware, software, whatever, right? Those solutions in general. Well, then your low-level design document would articulate everything that you're doing for all of those solutions. Um, now, if you're, again, back to a, if you're working for a vendor and you're doing services from a vendor perspective, then you're probably only going to be doing your vendor-specific solutions. Um, but this is where you're going to see all your technical configurations of the features that were depicted in the high-level design. You're going to have all the devices called out in device models and cards and optics and features, you know, whatever you're going to do from a, a bill of materials perspective, right? Um, you're also going to call out every single nerd knob. We all like the nerd knobs, right? So every nerd knob that's going to be used and how it's going to be configured um, and best practices, recommendations will be um, will be articulated um, and shown in this document. Now, in my experience, this is kind of going to be your biggest document. I mean, you're going to have pages and pages of configurations. You're going to have configuration snippets. Um, you're going to have reference configurations at the end. At the end. Now, this document and the HLD, right, the high-level design, they both should reference your uh, customer requirements document and your reference architectures. So in the appendixes, you should definitely have referencing material um, and you should reference these other documents. Um, now, throughout the high-level design document and the low-level design documents, um, I like to personally call out which requirements are being met at each step. So, you know, we might have a list of 35 requirements, and I just picked that number randomly out of thin air. Um, so we, let's say we have 35 requirements, and maybe um, BGP route reflector design that we discussed, discussed a minute ago is meeting requirements 10 and 11, right? Whatever they might be. Maybe it's you can't have shared fate between IP and VPN before. Or maybe we need to reduce the security vulnerabilities for um, our route reflectors. And so to do that, we don't... Um, Sorry, our, our VPN v4 routes. So to do that, we, we want to reduce that secu the security element there, the kind of attack surface, let's say. Um, so because of that, we want to isolate IP traffic and VPN v4 traffic route reflector address families. Um, so now your VPN v4 traffic doesn't actually, the route reflectors don't actually get the internet-based traffic, right? That's the idea. Um, you're going to always reference your requirements, in these documents. And that's what I like to do. Um, so sometimes these documents, a low-level design can be called a number of things. I've seen it called um, a detailed design document. I've seen it be called um, as-built as versions as well. So like an as-built um, deployment document. Um, so these are the, the kind of documents that, that, that I have, right? That I've dealt with and I deal with on kind of a, a regular basis. You can reference your architectural documents, your reference architectures, diagrams that were done in the HLD, the high-level design. Um, but they, they, all these documents really kind of tie together. And some people like to merge these documents. So maybe you might have a, an as-built that has HLD stuff in it and LLD stuff in it, but it's also calling requirements out too. So you really have all four or all three kind of documents that I've depicted here in an as-built. Um, I've seen that happen before, uh, but it gets kind of long. So, you know, I traditionally try to keep these documents as short as possible um, and just reference the other documents in the appendix or, or in the beginning um, section as a reference material um, for the design that we're doing.
So that that's design documents. Um, those are the kind of the most common ones that that I've seen in my career. So I'd love to hear some feedback on that. If anyone has uh, seen or, or heard of, or maybe I forgot something glaring because I'm doing this on the fly. I uh, don't have a lot of notes written down here. I'm going off my, my head here. Um, so maybe there's something glaringly that's just missing, right? So just go ahead and, and let me know. Uh, you can add comments to the show notes of this. You can... Um, reach out on socials, right? So um, obviously Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, And you can always email at feedback or email to me at feedback at zigbits.tech. I don't like to add the other at in there. It makes me very, it just confuses me a little bit. Um, And it did that time, or I guess twice in a row. You know, this all came from a coaching session. Um, And I want to make sure that everyone's aware that last month, um, it might be two months now. I think it's been two months. Um, we launched coaching, a one-on-one coaching sessions. Um, so it can be technical-focused fo- coaching sessions. Um, so if you need some help with a certification you're going on, you need a mentor, coach, guidance, someone to kind of motivate you, you need some accountability, passion, um, your fear of failure or fear of making a decision. You need some guidance on making the right decision. You know, I've been down those roads, right? So fear of failing, um, fear of making the wrong decision over and over again, right? Um, you know, that's that's what I can help with, right? There's that aspect. There's also another aspect too, right? So that's heavy on the certification side. If you just need some help with technology, I can help you with technology. Um, very good with all those things, as you can see with this stuff that we're doing here. Um, outside of technology, um, obviously, if, if you just are trying to determine maybe your goals in life, your dreams, um, maybe you haven't identified your identified your goals, your end destination, um, I can help you with that too. So um, all of this information, can be found on our website. That's zigbits.tech. And if you go to zigbits.tech slash work for me, or sorry, work for me, work with me. Wow, that was horrible. <laughs> uh, so if you go to uh, zigbits.tech slash work with me, uh, the work with me link, or if you go to zigbits.tech and there's a work with me tab, um, you'll find all the information and the dollar amounts, the prices, all that kind of stuff, and the different plans. Um, I'd be looking forward to doing a one-on-one session, um, video call, um, face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball. Um, that's what I love, just getting that, that kind of relationship building. And I promise you, we can help each other out and get you to meeting your, your dreams and goals in life. Um, that, that's what this is all about. So without that, or with that, uh, I'm going to end the episode today. So it might be a little quicker than normal, a quick little episode. Um, I've been wanting to do this topic for a week or two now um, and finally got around to doing it. Um, life has just been crazy. So um, maybe I'll give you a little, a little update on life stuff too real quick. So uh, we're still building our house. It has definitely been a process that we've been going through now for, for maybe 10 months now. So um, definitely uh, stressful, crazy, and just a lot of logistical nightmares. So trying to make sure that we do the podcast every two weeks still. Um, more will be coming after we get the house done and move in and situated because I want to do more than just this podcast. So like I said last time, uh, there'll be a couple more podcasts that we will uh, start and get out there. So hopefully we'll be doing three podcasts full time moving forward. And, uh, you know, 
You'll be hearing more about that once it gets launched. Um, Looking forward to it. If anyone has any suggestions for shows, please reach out. Any comments, any questions. Uh, We still have the Ask Zig episodes. So if you do have any questions, you can go to zigbits.tech, find the Ask Zig tab, and just submit your questions that way. You can always email me, uh, feedback at zigbits.tech, to to email me a question. Uh, If you're interested about the coaching, you have questions about coaching sessions, just email me. I'm open. Um, keep in mind, I do have a full day, a full, a full time day job. There we go. Um, so I might not get back to you as quickly as I would like, um, but I am a resource, and I will get back to you as as soon as I can. Friends, nerds, geeks, ziglets. That was a very quick episode, um, quicker than normal, but hopefully it made some sense on the design documents. Hopefully they resonate with you. If Again, if I forgot anything important, just call me out on it. Uh, I'm trying to do this from my own wording today. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of this. Um, be sure to visit zigbits.tech. Uh, we'll have the show notes there. It'll be uh, zigbits.tech slash 39. Yes, episode 39. I can't believe it. We're getting up there two weeks, every two weeks, man. So um, if we had done it every week, which would be hard uh, from the content that's been created, if we had done it every two weeks or every week, uh, we'd be almost at two years worth. So um, 39, um, we're, we're getting to 40 next time. So we're getting there. But if you if you, if you like today's episode, if there's anything in here that, you, that really resonated with you, if you just want to let me know, um, I'd appreciate it. Again, socials, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, um, and you can always uh, email us at feedback at zigbits.tech. Don't forget to join us in two weeks for another episode where we will continue to provide you real-world context around technology. Bye for now, all. Thanks.